From the Old City, a practical Torah commentary by Gutman Lodge. Genesis 47:28, Vayechi. You got it backwards. With this week's portion, we conclude the first book of the Torah, the book of Genesis. It always brings a little sorrow as we leave the intimate stories of our very own ancestors. How many people in the world know anything at all about their great-grandparents? Yet here we have learned not only their names, but also their wonderful deeds. Even this great revelation is not the Torah's true value to us. The Torah is not merely a history book. Its real value is that it allows us to apply the sayings of the sages that the deeds of the Father are assigned to the children. This means that we are to learn from everything they did. None of their deeds were done by accident, nor were any of them merely for their own generation. Everything they did affects us both historically, in that we have inherited the merit from their deeds, and spiritually, in that we have inherited their physical and spiritual DNA. This means that their very actions, way back then, somehow shape our actions today. This week is a week of blessings, wherein Yaakov, knowing that he will soon pass away, blesses his children and grandchildren. Perhaps the most unusual occurrence in the entire reading is the way Yaakov blesses Yosef's sons, Manash and Ephraim. Yaakov reaches out to place his hands on their heads, and he switches his hands so the right hand is placed on the head of Ephraim, who is the younger son, and his left hand is placed on the head of Manasseh, who is the elder son. Yosef complains, Not so, father, for this is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. The right hand is the stronger hand, so it should have been given to the elder son. This is why we begin with the right side when performing a mitzvah. For instance, when we give charity, we give it with our right hand, and when we step forward to pray, we step with our right foot first. So why did Yaakov put his right hand on the younger son? He explained, I know, he too, Manasseh, will become a people, and he too will become great. Yet his younger brother shall become greater than he, and his offspring, that is his deeds, will fill the nations. First, Know that Yosef probably expected that his father was going to do something like this, since he had just told Yosef that he was blessing Yosef's children to be like his other sons, saying, Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine like Reuven and Shimon. By mentioning the younger son first, he, in effect, had already placed the younger son before the older. Also, a side question should be asked. Why did Yaakov ask Yosef, whose are these, when referring to Yosef's sons? There are mystical reasons given for this, but the simplest answer might be that when Yaakov was blessing his own offspring, he remembered the time when his father, Yitzchak, gave him his blessing. His father thought that he was blessing Esau, when in fact he was blessing Yaakov, and Yaakov wanted to be sure that the same thing was not coming back to him. Now to Yaakov's switching of the blessings. We see that Yaakov, who was the younger brother, was put before his elder brother, Esau, and here we see Yaakov doing the same thing with his grandsons. Why? In Yaakov's case, the answer is obvious. Yaakov was righteous and his brother was not. 
Therefore, he really deserved the blessing. But with Yosef's children, this was not true. Both of them were righteous. Also, Yaakov's answer to Yosef that he was switching the blessings because greater nations will come out of the younger son does not explain why he switched his hands. And most importantly, why will greater nations come from Ephraim? The answer can be found in the meaning of their names. When Yosef named his eldest son Manasseh, he said, God has made me forget all of my hardship and all of my father's household. His joy was so great that it overshadowed his great sorrow of having been torn away from his father's house. When Yosef named his younger son Ephraim, he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Yaakov knew that his descendants were going into exile and would suffer many years in foreign lands. He wanted us to be happy even during our exile, as seen by the fact that he did bless Manasseh, but he did not want us to experience such joy that it would make us forget our father's house. More important than joy, he wanted us to be fruitful even in the lands of our affliction. With this blessing, we see our fathers reach into the future. This is how he summed up his life's desire, that his descendants, you and I, would be fruitful even while we were in exile. And if this exile must go on, isn't this our last prayer for this world too? Death. In this week's portion of the Torah, Yaakov dies. There's a major argument within the learned community questioning if, in fact, Yaakov died. Of course he died, one side of the argument demands. Everyone dies, and the Torah itself testifies to this, saying the time approached for Israel to die. And then it says, he expired and was gathered to his people. So we clearly see that he died. The other side of the argument argues just as strenuously, the righteous do not die. Although the argument goes much deeper, here is a simple explanation that enables us to say that both sides are right. The ones who are saying that he certainly did die are speaking of Yaakov's body while the ones who are arguing that he definitely did not die are speaking of his spiritual influence. There are two issues here that affect us. Number one, since we know for sure that we are going to die, what, if anything, are we supposed to do to prepare for this? Number two, what can we do to prepare for what is going to come to us after we die? We learn from Yaakov how to prepare for our death. Of course, everyone understands that dying is part of life. We do not need a Torah to tell us this. It is natural. We see it with our own eyes. Shall we push this reality away from our consciousness, as so many do, and pretend that we will live forever? Or should we meet reality head-on and say, I will take care of everything I have to do while I'm here, for the sake of those I will leave behind, and I will also prepare whatever is best for me, for my life in the next world. To prepare for things that I will leave behind in this world is the easy part. Imagine that you are going on a very long journey, a journey so far that you will not be able to communicate with anyone you leave behind. What instructions would you leave them? What assets and blessings would you leave for them so they can take care of business until you return? Pretty straightforward. But what about the things you need to do to prepare for your trip? the things that you will want to take along with you. Well, you want to pack your bags. 
You will definitely make a long list to be sure that you do not forget anything that you will need when you get to where you're going. Ah, but we have a slight problem here. Where we are going, we cannot take anything physical. Oh dear, then what can we take? We take only our deeds, both our wonderful deeds and our lousy deeds. And there's no weight limit at the ticket counter. We will take all that we have. But how do we really know that there will be life after death? Maybe this is just a hoax made up by our elders to frighten us into behaving properly. I mean, do you know anyone who actually died and came back and told you what happened? A few years ago, I was getting strong chest pains. The pain would always come a couple minutes after I climbed back up the steps on my way home from the hotel. I pushed it off for months until it got so bad that I had to do what the doctor said. Okay, simple procedure, just have to clear out the arteries around the heart. I checked into the hospital. They gave me one of those way-too-short robes that you put on backwards, wheeled me into the sterile room, hooked me up to a bunch of electronic screens that measure everything going on inside, gave me a shot, and then the doctor ran a tube up from my crotch, believe it or not, slowly up, up, until I felt something pushing hard, intruding uncomfortably around my heart. Okay, it's getting heaven, but I can handle it so far. Then it happened. Reeling, dizzy, spinning head with a loud, zooming, sinking sound, suffocating, swirling down like a black whirlpool, going down loud, getting darker. Something is wrong, I yelled. I'm going out. I could see the doctor's worried face. He looked at me, then back to the monitors, then back to me. I need an emergency, doctor, he yelled loudly. The guy looked really worried. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, I said to myself. I need an emergency, doctor, he yelled again. I could hear people laughing and talking in the next room. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, I said again. I need an emergency, doctor, he yelled even louder. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, I said for the third time. I need an emergency, doctor, he yelled for the fourth time. And each time he yelled louder than before. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, I said for the fourth time. I saw two people run in, a man and a woman, running in from the side room. Give them a shot of so-and-so, he called out. One of them gave me an injection, while the other one started violently pumping my chest. My body was bouncing up and down from the gurney from the force of his blows. What must have been an oxygen mask was sloppily strapped over my face. After a while, the ends of my arms and legs started buzzing, vibrating strongly. Finally, the doctor looked relieved. He smiled and said, You died. Air got into your heart, and you died. Don't worry, that buzzing feeling in your arms and legs will go away in a few minutes. Do you remember anything that happened while you were gone? I told him everything that happened the entire time. Remember, I was hooked up to a number of electronic monitors that showed my heart, pulse and all my vital signs, and they all said, patient is dead. I do not know where the elders got their information about death and resurrection, but I know where I got mine. If it all ends when you die, as many like to believe, then how was I able to tell the doctor what happened in the room while I was dead? So now back to the point. We're going to go into a spiritual world. We don't know when. It could be tomorrow, it could be 50 years from tomorrow, but surely we're going to go there. 
Now, what do you want to take with you? Your money won't fit through the gate, but your good deeds will. There is one dot com.